Episode of Zoom Town. I'm your host, Travis Matier, and with me, Tim Adams. Hello, guys. On the other side of the table, and hopefully at uh, um, some higher audio levels, because I did get feedback from a friend that that Tim might not be as loud as I am. Of course, I'm very loud, uh, and so maybe the contrast is a challenge. I don't want to out-loud you, Tim, so... Yeah, it's a pet peeve of mine. I don't know how we live in a society where every commercial, you, you know, when you're watching TV and yes. things, this, the volume just suddenly changes and you're like, ah. Like, yeah, <laughs> I actually, that that's a big annoyance of mine because uh, the kids are always watching something loudly anyways, and then it's like super loud. No, um, I, I, I feel the same way the listeners do. I listen to other podcasts with, you know, millions of listeners and the audio keeps going up and down and up and down. So it's. We'll, we'll try to keep attention to it. Well, and, and anyone that wants to give feedback or is interested in being interviewed, I know for the last you know couple of weeks, almost a couple of months now, it's been you and uh, you and I primarily looking at the local elections, and that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, but we definitely are looking to interview folks. I, I know one person I'm going to be reaching out to, a parent that's um, spearheading the the fundraising efforts to try and counter the mask mandate that's coming down. Um, school for my kids starts tomorrow. And so this is a, a big issue, but um, we're not going to be talking about that really today. One, I actually did write out the outline again as we're trying to be structured and today keeping it about an hour long. So Ward 1, um, we're going to look at the, the four candidates. Um, I actually heard one of the candidates speak a couple weeks ago, and so I want to talk about that. So we'll get into that. Um, also, I, I put some footage out um, on Monday that I recorded, I believe it was last Friday. Um, and it's really kind of nasty footage of a homeless veteran that I, I know very well. And it's image of his foot, essentially, as I'm talking to him, it's about a minute and a half. Um, and we're gonna get into sort of the, the, not just that particular issue, but the information I also learned that day as it relates to the, the private sector um, hospital Providence system. Um, as represented by St. Pat's here locally. We're going to get into that. And then the Resettlement Agency. So the International Refugee Resettlement Agency here in Missoula is already gearing up for Afghani refugees coming in, potentially. And this is something that I have been critical about, the, the location in Missoula of an international relocation effort. Um, since I worked at the Pavarello Center, I've been writing and criticizing this. Um, and back then, our vacancy rate was like, four or five percent in our rental market now it's at like under one percent so we'll get into that as well and anything that tim wants to bring to the table um other than his illness which oh, he experienced ex talk about that um yeah i went we sort of went on vacation last week and, and uh, you got me a gift thank you for the for the the mini building blocks this this bison is going to be part of my lego world yeah, we went to the South Hills. I was actually born south of Devil's Tower. My dad's family's all over there, so we went and saw our Mount Rushmore and the oh, you did. Custer State nice. Park. Uh, yeah, just saw some family. It was good to reconnect. Uh, I haven't seen several of them for many years, so um, 
hey, we had the luxury to last minute get a house sitter and uh, just get out of town and nice. go see something other than Missoula County in Montana. Yeah, I'm going to go back to my hometown, Spokane is where I was born, Spokanistan. Speaking of Afghanistan, I sometimes call Spokane, Spokanistan, just because. I always heard it as Spokompton. That's, an, that's another popular, popular one. But um, there's a comedy show that I'm going to go check out soon so i'm excited to, to see that i invited you since we had our comedy plans wait who are you seeing sam tripoli so okay. sam tripoli the host of the tinfoil hat podcast and cash daddies and zero podcast a spiritual one on rockfin he's got many many podcasts and it, he's an interesting guy in terms of being a comedian because he started his podcast efforts i think around 2016 uh trump being elected um, because he got more into the conspiracy world and became more outspoken, a lot of the, the more woke liberal comedian world that he was a part of turned their back on him. And so he's really kind of forged his own path. And in terms of a podcast I'd like to be a guest on, that's one of the ones I'm, I'm trying to, to angle for, trying to get attention. I also, oh, I forgot, I was going to mention that I was on a podcast, um, not a podcast, it was a Zoom meeting with the podcasters, Monica Perez and Brad Binkley, the people that I'm a fanboy of and always mention. So I might discuss that if we have time, but thinking of time, we want to get into Ward 1 initially today. Um, I actually had to remind myself who the four candidates were because I forgot that, that Jane Von Fossen is one of the candidates um, that came in last minute. And so I had a chance to see her speak. And she's a very knowledgeable person when it comes to the numbers. She actually at this at this meeting I was at mentioned reading Greg Strandberg's blog and being very happy that someone was also engaging with the budget numbers. Um, the way that she describes her, her the way she kind of charts out the data um, is that it's it's hard to really see what's going on because of a lot of you know, stuff that, that's beyond my sort of English major, you know, background. So when it gets into the, the nitty gritty of the numbers, it's interesting because, um, you know, at this meeting, one of the, one of the persons, individuals that responded to her basically said, I'm a financial guy. Um, I see this risk and and I'm actually pretty comfortable with what the city's doing for the most part. It, it's not anything, you know, outside of, of the, the standards that really exist in, in how debt is carried and how um, bonds are looked at, you know, all these kind of more complicated things, the, the mills, you know, how, how these things all work together. Um, when it comes to the, the financial priests in our, our, our current economic system, what the city's been doing is, you know, something that a lot of municipalities do. And when, when I had a chance to, to talk, I was talking to Jane about the narrative, you know, and, and how there is a missing component when you're just talking numbers uh, about what the narrative actually is. You know, it might not be huge percentages of the budget you're talking about, but when you're talking about something like the tax increment financing slush fund, you know, you're talking about priorities. Um, and one of the recent re requests that I wrote about is the, the city of Missoula saying they need a hundred thousand more dollars for communication infrastructure development um, and so, you know, Ginny Miriam, the, the spokesperson for the mayor, um, you know, someone like Lydia Arnold, one of my former volunteers at the POV, she's a PIO, public information officer. Allison Franz is a, a communication coordinator. Um, the MRA actually wants their own spokesperson, and they've already ponied up $46,000 for Six Pony Hitch, the consulting firm, with uh, Spider McKnight from New York. Um, you know, so it's, it's fascinating to me that the, the city... 
um, is looking to kind of expand its, its communication control. They already have all of these communication nodes that help uh, control the narrative. And it's really challenging just to get counter narratives out there. Um, we've talked a lot about the media landscape in Missoula. I mean, really, someone like Mayor Engen, 16-year incumbent, faces less scrutiny from the media today than he ever has. There's no Missoula Independent that was long shuttered by Lee Enterprises. Uh, the Missoula Current is a joke. Martin Kitson is a fucking joke. I didn't realize he used to be a spokesperson for the Democratic Party. He I did. didn't until you had put that up. I uh, whatever the little Twitter spat was, but you know what's crazy? He is absolutely did. Any one person who's worked as a comms person in Democratic politics apparently instantly has the ability to be a journalist. Isn't that crazy? I, I, it, it it's um it's something that that certainly is not uh, scrutinized enough in well, terms of media and, consumption. And here's the other thing: you're talking about that. You know, there's a sort of government operation, and then we have a, like an outer layer, a buffer of these communications people, and these are like the shield who kind of take whatever's going on inside the machine and, and tell everyone outside the machine what's happening. But then, if the journalists who are supposed to take a look under the hood and actually tell us what's going on, and they're supposed to go around these comms people, instead just become part of the communications things because what do they do they go hey uh, can you answer me this can you give me a press release for this they end up just repeating what the comms people say and in effect make themselves just another layer of comms of just another shield another layer of buffer and protection against the machine and, and we're supposed to yep. take them all seriously if, if they're not. So. Well, and, and here's so here's how this works. And so, um, you know, this this is a podcast here where we discuss this stuff. I've written a, a blog for, for many years. And so, um, you know, as part of the media landscape, you know, what do I do? Well, one of the other candidates in Ward 1, so vying for a city council position, is Jennifer Savage. And on April 23rd, 2021... Uh, the title of this post by me is A Closer Look at City Council Wannabe Jennifer Savage. And um, in, in this post, you know, I have a link to Greg Strandberg because of uh, the fact he got it rolling um, a, while, a while back, pointing out that Savage is a part of Spider McKnight's Six Pony Hitch team. Um, and it's just, you, you read this post and it's just, it's, it's so absolutely frustrating. Another, uh, another thing that Jennifer Savage, I think, let's see, was doing, um, she was part of Headwaters Foundation. And so this is really interesting because when we talk about resources, when we talk about the lack of mental health services and addiction services, which we'll get into, um, one of the things that, that I used to bring up when I was working at the Pavarillo Center is like, hey, remember when Community Medical Center as a public asset sold? Remember that, people? It was $70 million. Whatever happened to that money? Well, it's now like $100 million, and it's part of the, it's the Headwaters Foundation and they sit on that money and they trickle it out. I wouldn't even call it a stream. That, that, would, be, that would be too generous in terms of the, the, the tiny little morsels of, of, of money that they just trickle out um, from the privatization of a critical public asset that Missoula, that Missoula lost, really. And so <clears throat> one of the links I have in this post, um, let's see, the quote, let me just click really quick because this is actually from Headwaters Org. Um, and the quote is, Missoula-based Headwaters Foundation today announced zero to five, a 16.7 million multi-year strategic initiative focused on building resiliency for Mont Montana's youngest children. The six-year initiative will invest 5.2 million to establish a program office anchored at the University of Montana. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, this zero to five is very important because this is part of the effort that Grace Decker is involved in. The paid staff at United Way of Missoula County, also a school board member. 
right? And so this is how this nexus works. So if Jennifer Savage wins city council, here's another cog in this um, in this nonprofit Democrat political uh, infrastructure nexus that really they protect each other significantly. They're giving money to each other. Um, and it's I find it to be to be really disgusting. You know, when I the the couple times that I had to file for like state legislature, you're also supposed to file something that shows like your financial interest, what you have major stakes in and right. stuff. And I'm you know being kind of naive, I just spending fifteen dollars to file, like put all my stuff in there. I was like, oh, I have a car worth this much. Blah blah blah. Oh, you're, Most of these people don't reveal hilarious. any of this stuff at all. Like yeah. they don't reveal these connections. The fact that someone can run to be a city council member, but also be involved with a consulting firm that gets city contracts, seem like one of the most blatant conflicts of interest you could imagine. And yet, I, I doubt I, this will never be in the Missouli. And like, no, no. Martin Kidston isn't going to be pointing out that these consulting companies that are democratically aligned make all this money off city government. It's This is what's weird is why wouldn't this be the basic stuff even a regular person would want to know about? Well, and I've said this before. I mean, I, I literally like sometimes do my research sitting on the shitter and spending five yeah. or 10 minutes in the time it takes for me to dump in the toilet. I'm able to find these connections. It's it's the easiest goddamn yeah. thing to do with the internet connection, um, and and yet the the establishment media in Missoula doesn't want to do that because then I guess it, it's not fun at the cocktail parties. I mean I don't know they don't they know. look you at know, you sideways. In two years and, when that comms position opens up and they go to apply for it, we wouldn't have any bad marks on their record. So we have Jane Von Fossen, we have Jennifer Savage, um, we also have Winterer, and I'm looking her up because she is in the real estate business, right? Um, so why is there Sheila Comer Winterer? Eighty percent of the people filing for city council are female, but zero percent of the mayoral candidates are female. Does that strike anyone else as weird? I don't know. I mean, all of the declared House candidates, except for the one against Rosendale on the Democrat side, are women. Cora Newman, uh, Lori Bishop, uh, whoever the other lady is I'm not thinking of right now. And and yet here in this one, it's it's like when Bullock ran, all the women had to quit the race. Or, you know, no one. I, I'm, when was the last woman to run against Tester? Right. There are interesting gender dynamics at play, um, for sure. Uh, so I'm looking at um, Sheena Comer Winterer is another one of the candidates, and she is part of Inc. Realty Group. Oh, um, yeah. And so that is, you know, standard operating fare for someone that wants to become a city council influencer. And then, of course, yeah, we, hyphenated two last names is two. Comer Winter. -er. And then we have we, we have Jay Kevin Hunt. Jay Kevin Hunt. Oh, Mr. Hunt. This is this is um, such an interesting kind of situation. Well, Kevin's his middle name, right? I <laughs> John Kevin Hunt, Jay Kevin Hunt. So um, right now, Mr. Hunt is spending more time than he should commenting on my blog. I, I hate to. Oh, why would you say that? Well, I just. I, I mean, hey. You want readership, man? I want listeners. Listen to all my words, Jake Kevin Hunt. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it does increase traffic. I won't. I won't lie about that, right? It, um, what will I lie about? No, I will say for declared. I mean, this is the Jacob Elder effect of like every time you could spend commenting on a blog, you could probably be like sending a mail or something or getting someone to put a yard sign up. If you think arguing with someone who decided who to vote for before anyone even filed like is the best way to win a race, then well, you're probably I just, wrong. I just feel I feel bad. Uh, Mr. Mr. Hunt is an is an older gentleman, and um, he is trying to get the backing of the Democrat establishment in Missoula. Even though I'm sure he understands the way that he exposed the Nick Chicota uh, John uh, Engen scheme back in October of 2019. 
you know, the, the sort of um, outrage that Mr. Hunt sparked by catching the schedule change back then, um, you know, it, it makes it kind of complicated because of that, uh, that history. And that was the first time that Mr. Hunt kind of got on my radar um, was back October 2019. I have since gotten to know him. I am uh, I consider myself friends with his his new wife. You know, I was there at, at the wedding reception. Um, and so, you know, there there is that personal connection, which happens a lot in small town politics. When it when it comes to establishments, you know, you're countering a political establishment. A lot of times you are you're involving yourself in social circles that <clears throat> have the potential of blowing up in your face. And so, you know, all of this is really challenging and difficult. I think Kevin Hunt overestimates the influence of a blogger. Um, unfortunately, most people still have a negative connotation with what a blogger is and does. And just by virtue of making a comment on a blog, you're probably in some people's minds denigrating your credibility a bit. Um, and so my advice, yeah. my advice would be to just, you know, not, not because I'm, I'm like mad or upset about anything that he's saying, although, I mean, I could be, um, I try and step back from that personal emotional response and say, you know, strategically probably doesn't make much sense, but you know, I, I've been, um, going to Facebook because of, you know, Hunt's pro, uh, prolific posting on, on social media through Facebook, just because I am learning about the efforts to go after him. So Maggie Bornstein, uh, the my understanding, the girlfriend of Daniel Carlino, another city council candidate, um, has been working hard to make sure that that Mr. Hunt does not get any kind of nomination from like the DSA or from the Missoula County Democrats or the MCDCC, whatever the, those letters are, in terms of the the Democrat establishment. And so, it's been interesting to see this this candidate really with all of the bona fides that you could expect from a, a long time progressive minded individual. I mean, this guy's been fighting the good fight as a lawyer in Oregon City. Um, I mean, he took on TIF corruption in Oregon City and kicked some serious ass. I have a lot of respect for Kevin Hunt and what he's doing, um, regardless of any, any, any commentary that he's providing. So strategically, I think something to think about for him, whether or not he wants to... to well, I, I mean, here's the big question. Here's the reason we're even here behind microphones is like, if you want to affect change, what realistically do you have to do? Okay. The reason I don't think you've heard a word from Engen or anything about this is because they're pretty confident. I mean, from what I've seen, I just don't see anyone as a threat currently. Um, I, I think don't you're think right. they're in any kind of danger. I will say the fact that they allowed a primary to happen is maybe their safety valve. That way they don't yeah. you know, get caught unaware on election night that someone has been doing something under their nose. They'll have actual numbers on the primary that either they're won and this is over or they'll have a second chance to really hit whoever comes through harder. Yeah, yeah. they'll make those decisions on, on how to character assassinate hardcore at that point. Maybe. But, but let's take an example, though. We had yeah. Jesse Ramos on. He was one of the first guests that we interviewed yep. here and he stayed on that city council and he worked tirelessly for months, for years, to recruit candidates and actually get them the resources behind them to win races, okay? Yep, yep. He went from winning just one ward out of 12 in the city to recruiting more candidates to winning three out of 12 wards in the city. Um, I'm a bit disappointed that he is sort of giving up the fight now. He must have other stuff well, going no, on. Well, no, he's not. Um, I can't get into specifics, um, but but there's definitely some some insights that I now have that I didn't previously a few weeks ago. 
um, thanks in large part to, to the perspective of Mr. Ramos. Um, but but you know to that to that point of what Jesse Ramos was able to accomplish, um, and and he accomplished it amidst that whole TIF uprising. All these activists showing up week after week at city council chambers um, was was you know one of the one of the things that that Jesse Ramos did was seize on that that outrage, and he got two other members elected as part of this like you know triple team liberty counter counterpoint to this this political establishment that calls itself you know progressive but it's a neoliberal you know money corrupt uh, political establishment essentially and i think the reason why jesse ramos was able to do that because almost every single person i i talk to i meet has heard him speak in person and was impressed by the way he was able to speak in person um, we're not talking about mayor candidates necessarily today, but, um, you know, Sean Knopp, K-N-O-P-P. There's no F there, people. Sean Knopp has a lot of signs showing up in Missoula. But when it comes to public speaking and the in the mayoral forum, weak sauce. I mean, he, he did not come through strong and in, in confident in, in sort of his own ability to put forth some ideas. I mean, you might need to have a few sort of phrases you can fall back on when you're feeling not able to, to answer specific questions. But... Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting situation that we have with this primary because I think you're correct to say it's more of a safety valve. It, it raises the bar in terms of money that not only you have to raise, but it also was pointed out that it doubles the money a person can raise. And so the I think it's a $180 limit. Um, you can raise that now in the primary and then in a general election. And so when it comes well, to it's, that money. It's funny money when thing. we were doing research uh, a couple months ago when I was looking back at Ingen's financial reports because uh, he had raised $330. And I was like, oh, I, and this came through a lot uh, where there was a bunch of people. And I knew at the time the limits were, were lower than that. But then I looked and there was some temporary window in that year where a judge threw out all the campaign contribution limits saying they were a violation of free speech. Oh, interesting. And so the, the commissioner political practices, John Modell, had to raise that to some sort of arbitrary thing, which ended up being $330. So <laughs> it's interesting that out of all the elections, this one, Engin did take advantage of his ability to raise as much money as possible as was legally allowed at the time. Uh, well, and I, I have to point out that 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 is a microcosm of the, the larger money laundering scheme that the Hillary Clintonite, you know, cultists um, were doing with the Victory Fund. So Montana was one of the states that allowed Hillary Clinton to essentially bundle donations in this in this kind of you know probably technically not illegal but certainly you know not that nice uh, to be able to to do this end around uh, political donation limits. Can and I so, ask you your opinion on this? Have you mm-hmm. ever thought about whether because to me when I look at Montana's contribution limits and I look at you know we're actually very low to candidates to give a, a person 180 bucks and then be maxed out is very low, uh, and I think there's actually a bad effect on this because everyone's saying, well, if you keep the contribution limits low, then that makes sure people can't give a bunch of money to politics and that keeps big money out of politics. But what it actually does is once you've maxed out, then if you want to give more, then you end up going into your political action committees, which have you know unlimited capacity to take money from people. And that's where I'm concerned is when you make the contribution limits themselves arbitrary very low, you end up making the amount of money that you can track and find that's much gr- much lower oh, because man. all the extra money goes into these like dark money orgs or political action. Tim, you are such a smart, well-spoken, thoughtful commentator Thank on you. politics. I am so happy you're here because you are, you are so right about this. Um, in thinking of, and I'm, I'm thinking from a different perspective. Um, so, so this, 
I mean, you make a really great point that this actually directs people um, to donate to the groups that are that are harder to track. I, I think in terms of a political establishment that uses soft power and um, charitable donations, you know, the way that soft power has come at me, um, yeah. you then even more, I think, emphasize a established political incumbent, the ability to use that soft power. If you can't counter it with more publicly accountable, um, larger donation amounts, um, that might be a really good argument to say, hey, why not a thousand dollars? You yeah, know, people want to give I... that much money to 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 try and raise accountable support for an opposition candidate um, instead of allowing Engen to to not do anything himself. But you better believe um, Engen's harem crony, you know, enablers are are lashing out in all kinds of asymmetrical ways. Yeah, the mommy war is is very real. Oh the shit! Yeah. Real. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, why would I give John Engen a thousand dollars in in trying to like support him when I can give to United Way a thousand dollars, or I could give, you know, to or, or Missoula Ford, rises, Montana, yeah. or because or Montana then I Human can write it. that off on my taxes. It never actually shows up that I donated to them, even though they're doing political stuff. Like, and then if you ever say, "Oh, why are you being political?" Like, "Oh, you don't like charity." Oh, you don't like yeah, ladies. Yeah, no, oh, you don't like helping the homeless. Totally. Yeah, like, no, exactly, exactly. So, um, so give it to the Montana Human Rights Network. They will, um, they will, oh, they will hire that an, tweet. What are they doing? They will hire an intern named Maggie Bornstein. Maggie Bornstein will write a a, a letter bashing Jacob Elder using information. Okay, that she she told me this in a direct phone conversation. Even though I now hear that she's denying um, that what I'm saying is accurate. Um, well, you know, sue me then, Maggie. If you don't think it's accurate, sue Why me for even defamation. Why deny it, Travis um, McDowell? Adam is out there rallying against the anti-vaxxers and their school board it's, voices. It's fucking ridiculous. But Maggie Bornstein used information she gleaned from the Montana Human Rights Network from her internship to write a letter, a public letter, attacking Jacob Elder. And, and that is the way that soft power can function in a, a, a corrupt political environment that, that sees an ends justify the means approach um, using any hat that you're wearing. Oh, I'm just wearing my United Way hat. Oh, I'm a school board member. Oh, I also direct political activity through the Missoula Rises. I can just wear these different hats. But if Travis <laughs> takes a megaphone, you know, I'm sorry. Now I'm like almost knocking over my yerba mate. Have I had too much yerba mate, Tim? You know, 20 grams of caffeine might be your limit, man. Totally. I think I might be Odin on that. <laughs> or mi milligrams, sorry. Yeah, 20 grams would be a huge... Well, let's transition because it is... Uh, oh, man, we got 35 minutes um, and some other stuff to get into. So I want to kind of shift into this public-private partnership idea. Um, there's a couple different ways that, that um, I want to sort of think about this. But one is... Something that I mentioned in this Zoom party with the uh, with the propaganda report and a lot of the patron saint supporters, um, I talked about the the power of contrasts. Right um, when we're when we're looking at our rights being violated in terms of health choices we want to make for ourselves and our families, um, and and we it's being done under the auspices of of public health, public safety. I like to think in terms of juxtaposition. Maybe that's from my humanities background at the University of Montana, my creative writing literature degree. You know, contrast can be powerful tools to expose, um, you know, a lot of the sort of lack of, I don't know, whatever. Um, specifically, Michael's foot. You said you didn't see the, the, the video. I put out a video on Monday. I've been to Morocco. I've been to some places. I, I don't need to. <laughs> I've been to 4chan. I don't need to see it. 
Yeah, well, the, the the beauty of Michael's rotting foot and the flies that, that are clustering around the rotting toe specifically um, is that he gave me permission to videotape this. And I talked to him um, about his situation. Um, I know him very well from the old POV days. He's a veteran. Uh, before he was back on the streets this summer, he was in housing. But this is the housing he was in. He was paying a nightly rate. I don't know specifically what it was, but at, at the Motel 6, um, he was paying nightly rates. And so it was upwards of $2,500 to $3,000 a month was my understanding from talking to him. Um, and when the, the nightly rates went up because of the summer season rates hit, he was back on the streets. Um, and so he's a veteran. He's got, he's got financial resources. Um, and I, I videotaped him because I saw him as I was biking around uh, between St. Pat's and the Pov. So he, he's, he's just sitting there waiting for the EMTs to, to respond because I guess he's, he's working with the mobile crisis unit. Um, but I had found out earlier in the day, and this is kind of the, the, the contrast that just like hit me hard that day. Um, I had found out earlier after uh, contacting the Providence healthcare system via, via an online inquiry, I got a call back from a risk assessment person and was told that, that just their standard response to any policy inquiry, because my specific inquiry was how St. Pat's Providence system, how does a person get removed from life support? What is your policy outlining that process? Mm -hmm. I cannot find that out unless I have a lawyer sue them or, you know, litigation, subpoena. I, I don't get to know that policy. Um, and and I the reason why I was looking into that is because Sean Stevenson, right, the man that was attacked at the Pavarello Center, taken to St. Pat's, removed from life support after his family was not notified. Um, I, I can't I can't know that. And when I contact the public information people that are supposed to be accountable, you know, between me, the public, and the elected officials, so Allison Franz, the the communication coordinator, and Lydia Arnold, the public information officer. They don't have any answers for me because that's a private sector issue. So they direct me to the private sector that tells me I don't have any rights to that information. It's proprietary. And so, um, I, I mean, I wish Allison Franz could speak to why the county coroner was in there. My understanding is if there's an organ donor situation, um, then they, because there's so much paperwork involved, then they are sometimes there in the room if, you know, during life support being removed. Um, Sean was an organ donor, so that, that excuse doesn't really hold water for me, but Again, I'm not allowed to know this information. It's just a little peon of the public, and it's disappointing to me um, that that is the the case and the reality that no, you don't get to know. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before the the podcast started today, and this is one of the difficulties as far as having an open tran and transparent government goes that's accessible to citizens because every time they contract with you know like a private sector company, then it becomes one more hurdle that you have to jump. And, you know, what part of that company is actually something that can be open as a company that takes public money? The hospital, they have an agreement with, like, the ambulance service, Missoula Emergency Services, that anytime someone calls 911 and has the medical information, that that private company, Missoula Emergency Services, will go get them. Right. And then they will transport them to that private company, St. Pat's, uh, you know, right. healthcare. And if you want to do a, a public 
a search of that or gain information about an incident like someone being transported to the hospital and what happened to them after they're transported you know there's a lot of different gray areas like where does that person's personal privacy protection like HIPAA rights come in um, right, when they right. make the phone call, when they get in the ambulance, you know, if, if the ambulance workers are paid with public funds, you know, presumably in, in some situations, they're going to be people who are on Social Security, Medicaid, whatever. Um, but yet just for average Joe citizen, this is a complete labyrinth uh, that you have to navigate. And let's hope you have money and a lawyer and lots of time and right. patience on your side because you're never going to get for, through the first hallway the, yeah. the way that things well, go today. And let, let's and hopefully you're not you know stricken by grief and dealing with um, the emotional fallout of some kind of personal you know tragedy while you're also trying to gain access to information um, that has financial barriers. I mean, I, I just heard recently, um, you know, the transcripts of the Brandon Bryant case. So Brandon Bryant was recently acquitted. He was charged with felony intimidation, going back to the tax increment financing uprising. Um, and he was he was acquitted. Okay, we have three city council members testified um, in that in that case, although two of them are quitting, right? Yeah, maybe that's how scared they were. It's very interesting, though, because the transcripts will hey, come out eventually. you know eventually. what's crazy? Yeah. At the end of the day, he did get them eliminated. So who really won the Zola County? <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, the cost of the transcripts is allegedly $2,500-ish. Why? To, to get to, because Why? it's like, you know, 70 pages or something. I mean, it's... It costs $2,500 to print off 70 pages of transcripts. They probably have to go through it with a fine-tooth comb, maybe redact no, but some this stuff. Is, I mean, this is what I talk about also with the media. Okay, the media is supposed to be de facto like represented by journalists when journalists go in they're supposed to be representing the people and this is one thing i think journalists in you know pretty much anywhere don't realize that if you call up any agency especially a government agency and you say i'm so and so with this newspaper you're not going to get treated the same way that like tim adams or travis mateer i can't even tell you the number of times i've done information requests from everything from the montana supreme court to the governor's office to to even you know state municipal agencies and i just get ignored this was something when we were at media trackers was like oh yeah don't even try to even get someone on the phone in november or december because you know if they'll even get back to you which most time they won't you have to try three four times over two months and then maybe you'll get a response uh they usually just hope you'll go away and so yeah, when, yeah. when these reporters who so casually and happily go talk to the comms officer and just get the press release and then print that as the news, it's right. like you're nowhere even close to what the experience of a regular person whose life might depend on getting this information. Yeah. Like, there might be a real valid reason that you need this. And yet you're going to put up these barriers and these barriers just fall away. I just melt away because I'm with the Missoulian. I'm with the free press. They're like, oh, well come right in yeah. well it's like north korea you watch that movie the dictator where they go to north korea and yeah. they're like here's our grocery stores and here's our health here's all the happy citizens it's like come yeah, on yeah. It's, it's a it's complete mirage and the fact that you're being treated this way and have no skepticism all only speaks to your privilege oh man it's all just uh, embedded journalism going away from the microphone really quickly to, to grab this book. We're not going to talk about this today, but I got this in the mail, um, post-journalism. Oh, man, this is fascinating. Basically, um, th this guy is calling the death of newspapers by uh, the mid-2030s. Uh, that they will be gone. Basically, you know, a whole generation is coming up without even a tactile experience with, with newspapers. Um, it's a really interesting look at just the... This got I mean, mailed to you, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just got it. Do you it. know the person? What's his name? Andrew Mir, Andre Mir. 
I'm not familiar with it. I was doing some research for uh, an essay that I was going to um, submit to another another blog, and I'll get into. I'm going to write about something about that uh, in a, in a really good positive way. I want to see more people um, really enter and engage this this media landscape locally because we we really need more people doing more work. Well, and in even this. this this looks as far as I can just tell from the blurb on the back, it looks like a Russian guy who now lives in Canada. So, isn't it interesting? All these people who've come from actual authoritarian countries coming here, warning us about yeah. how much our country is starting to look like the one they came from. So now, speaking of international events, the way that those can reach in to local situations is the International Refugee Resettlement Office that oh, that, yeah. that relaunched in Missoula. And so let's finish up today um, by getting into this topic. And this topic is interesting because I have been critical of this effort for many, many years, going back to when I worked at the Pavarella Center, which is Western Montana's largest emergency shelter and soup kitchen. And from that perspective, I said, hey, it is hard enough for the people at the shelter who seem to be increasing in number every year to get access to housing. So Missoula, and this was like back when we were at, a, at like a four or 5% vacancy rate, like I mentioned at the top of the show, um, this was back, back then. And so I was already sensitive to the fact that there was pressure on the housing market and that bringing in people from other places might not be a good idea because of the vacancy rate, but not just because of the vacancy rate. Okay. Montana, our Medicaid system is shit because we have like a million people in this giant fucking state. Um, we don't have mental health services. We have a high suicide rate. I know it's mostly white men killing themselves, so maybe that's a good thing to well, the Muslim this fucking town. Bosses. Um, I know Angan's spoken out about this, and I really agree with him. Too many Muslim women having uh, supervisory positions over white men is really the root of no question. Yeah, <laughs> the sarcasm. Um, it, it, it is it is it is maddening because back then it was easy for me to make the case that Missoula was not a good spot for this, despite how much you want um, exotic food trucks. We might not be the best location. Um, we now have less than a 1% vacancy rate. We have um, obviously a homeless crisis, which is a mental health and addiction crisis. And already someone like Doug Odegaard on Twitter is all excited to bring those Afghanis into Missoula. And so when I'm criticizing Doug Odegaard on Twitter, he's like, well, no, we're ready. Uh, we have the capacity. I work at the agency. And I'm just like, oh, say hi to Jen Barlow. She was one of my volunteers back in the day. Um, and I'm very aware of what the Missoula capacity is for housing. Um, I'm paying attention to that pretty fucking closely there, Doug. And so it, it's a little frustrating that they are already just getting ready to, to create another another uh, line of division that's going to further enrage and upset people. Because even back then, you know, five, six years ago when I was writing about this, I'm like, hey, economic insecurity is why people are being critical of this. They're not all a bunch of hateful xenophobes just waiting to shit on Afghanis or Congolese immigrants. You know, it's like they actually have some some anxieties and insecurities that are legitimate, and there is legitimate points of criticism that people can make about Missoula being a location for resettling folks. But no, no, that's that's never heard. That's never that's never actually acknowledged. It's just full steam ahead with whatever they can do. Um, to make themselves feel better about what they're doing, to address the fact that um, wars continued happening in Afghanistan because Obama got elected and started calling them humanitarian interventions. You know, there's no actual structural look at our geopolitical um, insanity. You know, they just they just want to virtue signal and, you know, do some local stuff, get the food trucks going, you know, <clears throat> make themselves feel better. 
And if anyone doesn't like it, well, fuck you. Uh, you're just a hateful, xenophobe, racist person. So. Well, you know, a lot of the homeless people aren't making it up to Miller Creek, so I suppose Doug might not have an adequate uh, handle on exactly how many people <laughs> are struggling with housing. But, you know, as he comes down from one of the richest neighborhoods in uh, the city every day, maybe he just has a different perspective. You know, one of, one of the things that I noticed when I was driving on West Broadway is that Tia's is for sale. I haven't written about this yet, but I did talk to the real estate person selling Tia's, who assured me that Tia's was doing very good business, very strong business, even though they're in the Pavarillo Sacrifice Zone, um, right across from Imagine Brewery. And and I was trying to envision um, some kind of like way of selling Tia's. And and we, we were talking a little bit before recording of maybe doing a, a, a parody show, a parody uh, like episode. Um, we we really should, and we shouldn't warn anyone. We should just do it and see see how it how it how it goes. But it, one of the things we could look at. Um, you know, is how you sell Tia's and be like, it's okay that sometimes there's some meth deals and, and you might see um, some acts of violence, but just, you know, remember they're victims of a capitalist system and it's your responsibility not to respond to any of the, the local provocations of this, um, of this particular demographic. And imagine brewery, I mean, they've been able to get past the fact that, you know, Native American woman was face down in the, in the river right behind their facility. That's, that's they get past that. You know, people still make their way down to Imagine Brewery to drink. Um, I see that parking lot full plenty of times. And so there is good economic activity happening around the open air drug market um, and the um, sort of like the, the drowning death zone for Native American indigenous women um, that represents West Broadway um, and that whole opportunity economic zone that Trump actually enabled. So fantastic well, stuff. You know, oh, and really quickly, Tia's. Guess how much money they got in tax increment financing? Over $65,000. So when you sure. see the nice landscaping and the pretty, um, like that metal that, that rusts in a really nice way. Oh, it's so nice. The aesthetics. Well, that costs 67000 I believe, um, in tax increment financing. I actually emailed Linda McCarthy at the Downtown Business Association about that. And she never got back to me. But, you know, that's just the way it goes here in Zoomtown, Tim. So well, I mean, Doug Odegaard apparently lives in a five-bedroom, four-bath house up in Miller Creek, uh, 2,600 square feet, cool. currently appraised at over $700,000. So I guess Excellent. maybe Doug has some extra rooms in his $700,000 house up Miller Creek. Maybe he has a better perspective on the struggle of poor refugees here. So maybe we're just you know touch. It, it's uh, I, and I'm sure he's probably really critical of the the police action on the, the the island. So the the West Broadway Island that dispersed the encampment there. Um, you know there was a really nice uh, economic refugee I ran into, a young white man, and he was drunk. I'm sure it's 10:30 in the morning, and sure he, he called the female staff like a bunch of bitches at the Pavarello Center. It's it's okay because um, he's a victim of 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 capitalism, and he just arrived in Missoula about a month previous. This was like uh, I think back in June or May when I ran into this guy, you know. And I'm just like, oh yeah, that's the guy. That's the kind of people that we need in this town. Um, you know, we need to be bringing like the, the young, you know, drunk guys with, with various issues that like to talk poorly, um, against the female staff at the POV. That's, that's definitely who we should be um, encouraging to, to stay. Um, you know, but, but you can't say anything critical of our nine going on 10 year plan to end homelessness, the failure of the coordinated, coordinated entry system. And the fact that our mayor in a interview, I had a chance to review himself used misinformation when he said 
okay, that couch surfing is a scenario that can get you help in this town. Couch surfing for Mayor Angen so that he knows about his own fucking town, right? And the, and the policies that dictate the help people can get. No, no, couch surfing is not something that HUD defines as literal homelessness. And so if you call 211 or if you go to the pub and you're trying to get assessed by the coordinated entry system and you tell the person that you were couch surfing, they will not ask you the 26 questions of the special questionnaire called the VI-SPDAT. That's an acronym. I fucking forget what it stands for. Um, but couch surfing is not one of those those scenarios. And I know that because I used to refer people to the coordinated entry system when I was working at Missoula Aging Services. So as someone that's worked in the nonprofit sector that is very knowledgeable about this, okay, that's providing right now to anyone listening, I'm providing more accurate information than our fucking mayor is able to provide. And that's a problem that apparently our mayor thinks the city needs a hundred thousand more dollars to deal with. And that's a problem that I have because that's bullshit. Okay, I'm, I'm done with my rant, and, and we should wrap up here. Well, actually, I want to talk about, because traveling, I think, is really, I mean, that's what liberals always say. If Americans could travel, they could just see how the rest of the world contrast is. Contrast amazing is it is beautiful. Europe, yeah, right? Uh, so we went to Bozeman, where I lived for almost 15 years, uh, and I will say it is quite changed. It does look like exactly one of those places where it's just rich people moving in. Um, right. If people don't know, the Walmart is trying to pay $21 an hour to start just because they can't Ooh. actually find workers who can work at Walmart and afford to live there. Um, as we mentioned off air, the, the median home price is, is, I think it was like $690,000. That blew me away. I had no idea it, it had gotten up that, that high. I mean, well, I lived there for years because I lived there before they even had a warming center, before there was a homeless shelter or anything. And it was really surprising to me that there were so many tents around the Walmart of yeah. people just having to stay outdoors. And especially the big uh, turn the weather took last week where people who were living outdoors in like 85, 95 degrees, sunny weather in tents now suddenly were sleeping overnight i think it got down to like 35 degrees last night before we came in they were warning us yeah. about the first frost which last year was probably end of september uh but the thing that we i noticed was there were actual improvements to the town when they brought all these big box stores in which are a lot more than i was there three years ago uh they actually made them improve thing up wilson avenue one of the old university districts it's all street lights had went in there uh steven remarked to me uh, you go down seventh avenue you see a lot of improvements a lot of sort of landscaping and stuff so it does seem that they're taking the money that they're demanding from these big corporations and actually trying to beautify the city uh, in contrast to that, we came home, I think it was late Saturday night, about nine o'clock, and we drove straight up Brooks, and Stephen was like, why is it so dark here? Like that corner from Higgins up Brooks Avenue is like one of some of the nicest homes in Missoula, and yet you couldn't see anything. I was like, you're right. Why is it so completely dark? I mean, here's a, a city that has had been called the rape capital of America with a lot of people living on the streets, a lot of crime happening. Wouldn't you think all this extra money, this TIF, this would maybe just put some lights up? How well, about and, that? And TIF, TIF does, I mean, that's one of the primary uses of, of TIF is like landscaping, lighting, uh, bearing utilities. And Midtown is going to be one of the, the areas of growth that, uh, that they're looking at. Um, certainly, but when you, when you think about some of the infrastructure movements that are happening, um, you know, <laughs> excuse me, um, that, that actually wasn't even a cough that I earned, but earned the fun <laughs> way. Um, but, but the, the fence along reserve street is something I wanted to mention, uh, really quickly before we kind of wrap up. Um, and, and if, for people that aren't aware of Missoula, reserve street, the bridge is right by, uh, the Walmart on Mullen. And so that has been an area of long conflict. And one of the things I think that's, that's developing now is um, 
the the Montana Department of Transportation moved forward with this chain link fence situation. And I went out there, took some video footage. Um, and I think this is a play by MDOT, by the state, to basically say, okay, ball's in your court now, you know, Missoula City, Missoula County. Because what they have done is they've left uh, gaps along the fence where the gates are going to go. And those gaps are left open because it's they're, they're basically saying when an alternative either another outdoor camp that, that they've been talking about, but when an alternative is identified, then they will be able to force the removal of the illegal encampments out at Reserve Street. Yeah. And so because of this um, this sort of local uh, city county not necessarily coordinating and communicating with the State Department of Transportation, I think this is a power move by the State Department of Transportation to now put more pressure on the city and county to actually um, step up and do something. Um, and it's going to be interesting because as someone who has coordinated cleanup efforts out there with the health department and with the Clark Fork Coalition, um, I'm very familiar with the terrain and what the Department of Transportation has just done is going to make it so much more difficult to remove trash. Um, that fencing has created now artificial choke points um, in which uh, it's going to be challenging to to get trash um, right on those choke points. Um, and so... It's going to be more difficult now to clean the trash, and, and I have been responsible for coordinating efforts that have removed tons of trash. We measure our cleanup efforts in tons, and that is going to be a challenge now. And so, you know, as we have this, this local municipal election and we have claims of public safety being so important, everyone wants to put more money to the police, and it's like, but what are we doing when it comes to no-go zones? Yeah. And, and what's, the, what's the communication actually happening between you know, private sector and, and public interests. Um, you know, we still don't know the full scope of the conversations happening between county commissioners, the United Way, and Blue Line Development about the transitionary um, or the transitional outdoor space on, on the way to Lolo. You know, that there are still like um, emails that have not come out, and the cost of that was over $800 from what I'm aware of in terms of uh, having to redact. Well, information here's about homeless what individuals. I'm curious about all this, because it's difficult right now to know how much effort is being done and trying to be shown to the public in order to keep Engen in office and how much of this might just go away once the election's over. But something I was thinking about, I actually did a little bit of research on was what what if as soon as the election's over, uh, we just start to recall the mayor? Yeah. Do you think people would support that? Yes, absolutely. Because I think my sense is this is my personal view, okay, that we kind of got duped. When you talk to people on the Republican side, when you talk to people on that Republican Central Committee, they really thought, here's a black guy, here's a veteran, he's going to go in, he's going to clean things up. This is going to be the silver bullet to take Engen down. Um, and I think, A, anyone who was working against Engen previously, especially on the Republican side, who thought this was going to be the, the silver bullet that kills the werewolf, I think you were wrong. Yeah. Um, I think anyone who's you know, done more investigation about what Elder's actually done in this campaign. And, and, and let me say, I can be completely wrong. Maybe he will win. Maybe there is enough animus. I just don't think he's made the case strongly enough to beat Angus. Okay, that's my view. Of course, the election hasn't happened yet, whatever. But I also feel, and I feel the same thing with Biden and some of these Republicans, is like regular people really are dissatisfied with the choices right now. Mm -hmm. The two sides are only talking to their bases and just throwing each other under the bus. I mean, I look at like uh, Austin Knudsen or, uh, or some of the stuff Danes is even doing right now in Afghanistan. I was like, this is completely reactionary as just like a fuck you to Democrats. They're not taking this occasion uh, necessarily to... 
Ooh, blowing up. I don't know who that is. Uh, but they're not taking the occasion to actually sort of put forward what I would consider what regular people want and is earning them goodwill with regular voters. They're doing what their base wants. And what I think the danger of that is, is now you have this whole race is being run in a disconnected way from the people it's most going to affect. And I just don't see any candidate in this race currently uh, that is going to fix that. And I think, you know, if, if people are dissatisfied and they see Engen win again and they're like, oh, OK, well, here we go four more years. Uh, you only need, I think it's 20% of the registered voters in the city of Missoula to do a recall. Um, I mean, Gavin Newsom is facing one right now. Yeah, I would just, yeah. I, I have a really hard time accepting that there's no better candidates in the city of Missoula who are all, you know, either John Engen or Jacob Elder. I, I think people were set up that there was going to be a good challenger to Engen this time. And I think Engen smartly saw that he didn't have a good challenger. And that's great for your opponents to think that the person who's going to take you out is not going to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wonder if the situation would be ripe to actually have a recall and, and have enough dissatisfaction that maybe some better candidates would come forward. I really, that's why I believe what Strandberg and Knopf's candidates were more at a frustration. They both probably thought someone better was going to come forward. They could have supported, and then no one did. And so now they're in a desperate situation of trying to win a race with no you resources. Know, oh, man, you're making some great points as, as we're wrapping up for now. Um, and, and so in, in, in conclusion, um, because the, the time is ticking and I have to go to an interview it's a super secret interview, and I'm super excited about it, and I really can't wait to have some I'm of these projects. Thanks for us. I'm super too. Um, but but I am almost to the mind now of of having of hoping Engen wins um, because, and I'm, I'm kind of developing this as you were talking. Um, but the the two the two most troubling comments from Jacob Elder in the mayoral forum that that for me is the reason why I would not support him is that he wants to use more TIF for housing interventions and that he um, he commended and wants to keep all of the staff involved. Um, so yeah, it, that, that, that shows to me he up. doesn't understand or, or respect what, what TIF it does. I mean, I support abolishing TIF. TIF needs to go away. No slush fund for anyone. I don't give a fuck who, who you are. No slush fund, all right? Just go away. Sunset all the urban renewal, urban renewal districts. Return the 30 plus million to the general fund. Abolish TIF. And as for keeping all of the staff, what happened to Donald Trump when he won the election? I don't care what you think of Donald Trump, okay? What did the people that were more loyal to Obama do surrounding Trump? If Trump wanted to remove troops from Syria, what happened in places like Syria? So, I mean, maybe that's not an analogy that makes a lot of sense for people, but I, I really, really strongly encourage no. anyone that wants to, to try and take on the mayor position. You're just one person, okay? There are a lot of people willing to, to take advantage of their positions within the bureaucracy to intimidate people. Okay. And so when, um, I mean, and this is, this happens to more people that, that have talked to me privately than I care to admit in terms of a, a loving, caring liberal community. Um, these, these, these little enabling cronious foot soldiers, They're little will, they will come after you in ways that you don't even understand yet. And so for Jacob Elder to say, great, amazing staff, everyone, let's just keep on all and use more TIF. I'm just like, oh, dude. Yeah, yeah let's, you, let's keep Engen in. For any local sycophant bureaucrat wanted to screw you over in any little situation, whether it be your sidewalk or your property taxes or something, you think Missoulian's going to come to your help? Do you think the Missoulian's yeah. going to come and highlight the plight of your problem no, against it, local government? Do you think NBC Montana is going to like... You have, you have 
Quentin Rhodes in Missoula being one of the few lawyers willing to take on the political establishment, um, I suspect he's a bit overextended with all of yeah. the, the the battles that are sort of emerging. Um, and, and so you're, you're right. You're not going to get um, necessarily the, the sort of the, the narrative virtue signalers within the media landscape or even necessarily um, a people within the legal community to, to back you up um, unless you really have money and serious intent for what a fight like this takes. So it's going to be interesting as we're standing here near the end of August. Um, we're looking at primary results. Um, mid- three weeks from today, I think. Three weeks from today, mid-September. Um, and we're going to continue uh, looking at things, talking about them. Well, maybe we should have a party. Maybe we should have a wake. Maybe we should. You know, my, birth, <laughs> my, my birthday is coming up um, next month. And so maybe we should have like a, like a political primary uh, Travis party. I'll bring my megaphone and perform. Well, it wouldn't be a party without your megaphone, Travis. We'll, we'll get some like electronic musicians, you know guitars drums i want to be a rock star that's why i dress like you know hey let's just quit the podcast and start band let's do it damn straight well not until november we got work to do until november um and then we might have some recall uh efforts to look into and until then if you want to get in touch with us um you can always reach me at willskink at yahoo.com that's w-i-l-l-s-k-i-n-k at yahoo.com and you're listening to zoom town with me and tim adams kicking it every tuesday when we put up new episodes. So get in touch with us if you would like to be a part of this effort and we will be back next week.